0: The series we're in is entitled Breaking Free and today in particular I'm going to talk about relationships which is an enormous topic and this is just about relational freedom. But Paul in Galatians 5 and verse 13 says you have been called to live in freedom. God doesn't want you and I carrying excess baggage, clutter and the reality is we do collect Clutter. We do collect excess baggage, not just in the physical realm, but emotionally and even spiritually in certain situations. And God's word for us as a church this year is from the book of Joel, where he declares, I will restore you. But if you've ever done a restoration project on a house or a room, you need to clear it out in order to get proper access to it. And relational baggage is a big issue in our lives. Most of our relational baggage is actually tied to broken or dysfunctional relationship. And I think the most significant pain that most people carry in their hearts is the pain of broken, fractured relationships, that that weight that you carry in your heart. And some of those wounds were received unintentionally. The person didn't go out of their way, but the byproduct was you got hurt. There may have been somebody who was extremely malicious or actually a dangerous person that wounded you. Sometimes it was just a careless thing and they had no idea just how profound what was said or what was done to you and to your heart. We carry wounding from our childhood in some situations, sometimes caused by parents. None of us have perfect parents. I know you probably are if you've got children, but anyway. Uh, Other family members, friends, work colleagues, maybe it was the schoolyard bully or a teacher who did something that was extremely painful. Maybe it's that you have been through the pain of a divorce or a child whose parents have been divorced. And there's just this thing that has scarred, this baggage that is there. Perhaps it's the death, the loss of somebody really close. And I think probably... One of the most, if not the most challenging thing, is the pain of a parent having to bury a child. That pain is enormous. And most physical injuries heal over a period of time, but I think relational wounds need more than time to heal properly. And we hear the statement, time is a great healer, and there's a truth in it, but sometimes All it does is diminish or bury what hasn't yet been dealt with. And so, yeah, time can help in the healing process when it comes to relational wounds. But I think you need to do more than that. I want to take a little snapshot into the life of Abraham's father, Terah. And it's kind of a section in the passage because Abraham is so big in our thinking. He's so big in his step of faith that we miss the leading story, which is the story of Abraham's father. And so I'm going to read from Genesis 11 verse 27 and following. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor and Haran. Just think of, remember, Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Remember, Lot became a traveling companion with Abraham. While his father Terah was alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldees, in the land of his birth. And you can almost gloss over that, not out of recklessness, but we've got to get to the story of Abraham. But here's the youngest son, it would seem, just the way the names have ordered, Abraham, ah, Nahor, and Haran, that the youngest child has died. We don't know how old. We don't know whether it was an illness, an accident. But Terah has buried a son. And God calls Terah to go to the promised land. Abraham, as it were, was the next choice. And so we read in the next few verses of Genesis 11: Terah took his son Abraham, his godson Lot, son of Haran, his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur the Chaldees to go to Canaan. You see, it looks like God had called Terah to be the father of faith. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. So on their traveling, on their way to God's promise, to the destiny that God has for them, God having called Terah and his family He comes to a town, a small city that carries his son's name and he can't move on, he's stuck. And it's such a powerful picture. He lives 205 years and he's stuck in Haran because it's his son's name, the son that he buried, the son that he carries so much pain about in his heart. In fact, the word Haran means dry or a grievous place. And you can only imagine what is going on in his heart and how just emotionally and then physically he gets stuck in this place of pain. And I think it's a dramatic picture for you and I. And God wanted him to move on into the promise, into destiny, into the future. And he got stuck there because of relational pain. And I wonder if you, along with me, we all are in this to say, Holy Spirit, can you just show me where I'm stuck relationally? I, I want to access all that you have for me. I want to live in the promise. I want to live in the I will restore you that is a theme for this year, but it's a theme from God's heart for all the time. I don't want to be stuck somebody, somewhere emotionally, spiritually, because of pain around a relationship. You see, relational wounds keep us from our potential. We actually make foolish choices when we're wounded because we react and we've all done it. None of us are exempt from this. It's not like if you've got pain and somebody somehow touches that, they may not even know what they're touching. We react, we make foolish choices. The psalmist in Psalm 73 says, then I realized my heart was bitter And I was torn up inside. One translation says my spirit was embittered, but I was torn up, torn up on the inside. And I was foolish and ignorant. And he's now talking to God. And he says, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. I was just reacting out of the pain. God, I'm torn up on the inside. Help me. The second thing is that relational wounds end up polluting other relationships because you've all heard this and there's a truism truism in this that hurt people hurt. The J.B. Phillips translation of Hebrews 12 verse 15 says, a bitter spirit is not only bad in itself, but it can poison the lives of many others. As much as we suppress, bury, try to control uh, the pain, around broken, fractured relationships. When we're tired, when we're under pressure, when we are feeling perhaps melancholy or sad about our brokenness, we can react out of that. And that poison not only does damage to us, but it damages the lives of those around us. We become defensive. Some of us, when we're hurting, become distanced. We withdraw. And others become more demanding. But either way, that spills out into the relationship. But relational wounds also destroy and affect our relationship with God. John is so blunt. He's the beloved apostle and he speaks so much about love. But in 1 John chapter 4, and verse 20, he says, If we say that we love God, yet hate a brother or sister, we are liars. For if we do not love a fellow believer whom we've seen, how, sorry, we cannot love God whom we've not seen. There's so much in the scripture that Jesus talks about in terms of forgiveness, and that unforgiveness is something that binds and ties our lives up, ties emotional baggage and spiritual baggage to our lives. But I believe there's a healing process, and it's not simple, and I'm going to go through a little checklist I've got more points than a porcupine this morning. But I'm going to go through a little checklist. And behind every one is a whole study, a whole insight of something that if God speaks to you, I'll encourage you to pursue that. Because relationships are worth restoring. You can't always fully restore them. Let me just put that out there up front. But they're worth the effort. Paul, in the book of Philippians, and there's a few people who are having a real to-do, and he says to them, if you've got anything out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in the community of the Spirit means anything to you, he's really going to tell. If you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor, agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Well, how do we do that? Well, number one, I think you've got to identify the hurt as unpleasant. You've got to acknowledge it. You've got to be real about it. David says in Psalm 39 verse 2, so I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good, but my anguished increased there's no thing positive or beneficial about bottling the pain up I'm not saying you spew it out over everybody that you get a chance to but bottling it doesn't help you've got to say it's there it's real it's affecting me I can see my reactions with others because of this first post your hurt your pain on Instagram and Facebook so the whole whole world knows who you dislike and why no, no. First, talk to God. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? We all know that struggle that goes on. You desire to have, so you kill. You may not have murdered something, someone, but have you murdered a relationship? Because you wanted your way and you had to be right. And you couldn't find a way of forgiveness. So the relationship got killed. you covered, but you can't get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. And you do not have because you do not ask God. You didn't talk to God first about it. So identify the pain. First, talk to God. Take initiative. Jesus places enormous emphasis on this. It's a whole study in itself. But Jesus says, if you enter your place of worship and you're about to make an offering and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. And then, and only then, come back and work things out with God. I'm tempted to say, let's all close our hours and allow one or two people to depart to obey this but you see the urgency he says don't pretend you can make things right with God when you haven't even tried to make it right with a person that you know has an issue with you the fourth thing and like I said more points in a porcupine a bit of a checklist is own your own baggage own your own contribution Jesus is so funny on this. I've often pictured this as a kind of sketch comedy scene. You hypocrite, he says. That's Jesus talking. Gentle Jesus. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. And you can just see this big beam stuck in somebody's eye. And they're going, let me help you with the splinter. Bang, bang, crash. Things flying everywhere. It's almost comedic until you go, yeah, I've done that. I've been pointing out other people's faults and I failed to acknowledge my contribution that I added something. The fifth thing is attack the person first before they attack you. Now attack the problem, and this is hard, this is not easy, because when there's emotion, when there's pain, we tend to go to that. But try to find out what happened, what was the issue that created the pain, the misunderstanding, the loss. The wise are known for their understanding, pleasant words are persuasive. Now the translation says a soft answer turns away wrath. I had a situation just this week in my role as National Secretary for our movement, and we're bringing a whole lot of new stuff to our upcoming conference, and we just sent out a whole lot of stuff. And somebody who I worked with for many years, uh, some years ago, wrote in the scathing, attacking thing about the lack of process, and they clearly hadn't read the communication that I sent out or hadn't understood it properly. And everything within me was, oh, I'm going to phone them and I'll give them. I thought, no, no, this came back as I was actually preaching on it. <laughs> Preach first to myself. And I phoned them up and I had a 20 minute conversation. And my starting point was, I'm so sorry if my communication wasn't clear. And you thought there was going to be a lack of process. And we ended up having this wonderful conversation. And it was actually great just to catch up with an old colleague, a little bit older than me. So anyway, we'll keep moving on. (laughs) I hope he's not listening because he could be offended by their comment. (laughs) But focus on peacemaking. Emphasize the relationship. And you may not get the outcome you wanted, but you'll get the relationship back. And it doesn't always work, but that's another topic. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says, I love the way Eugene Peterson phrased that in Matthew 5, 9. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Number six, and I need to move on. You've got to choose to forgive. And one of the biggest things, and there's a number of series we've done before on forgiveness and that, but We often think forgiveness is an emotion. But first and foremost, it's a decision. I choose to forgive. I'm making a decision to forgive. And it's not minimizing the offense. It's not forgetting that it happened. And some things you can forgive, but you can't fully reconcile the relationship. And just in those three statements, I've said a whole lot. You can't minimize the offense. You can't forget what happened. And sometimes... Even though you forgive, you can't fully reconcile the relationship. But forgiveness is a decision, not an emotion. Jesus, in responding to Peter, and Peter comes and he's heard Jesus talking on forgiveness. And under the Jewish rabbinic system, it was kind of three strikes and you're gone. If you offend me three times, you're gone. Your, and so Peter hears us and he thinks, Lord, how many times should I forgive somebody who sins against me? Up to seven times. And you've got to admire Peter's heart. He's doubled it and added one just in case. <laughs> and you've got to love that about Peter. And Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And we can add up the number and come up with a figure. But Jesus is saying, by the time you get there, I think forgiveness will be a habit. It'll be your first response rather than your last resort. And the final thing, and I'm tying this back to the story of Terah and Abraham, is refocused on God's purpose. Because often the whole issue of broken relationships knocks you off course and you don't fulfill your destiny. You don't fulfill your potential because you're now caught up in this thing. Joseph is an extraordinary example of this and his life is well worth reading and giving far more time than I can do this morning. But in response to his brothers who had thought of killing him, sold him into slavery, abandoned him, he says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I'm not going to be your judge. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being now done. He says, my destiny was not in your hands. No matter what you did to me, my destiny was in the hands of God. And I am staying focused on that. And there is a restoration in the relationship in the story of Joseph, which is wonderful. But the greatest restoration is the restoration of our relationship with God, is the issue of forgiveness, of yes, we are called upon to f- extend it, but we are also called upon to forgive And receive forgiveness. And the Bible says if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will experience salvation. And what that means, you receive God's forgiveness, God's pardon for time and for eternity. Past, present, and future sin is covered completely by the magnificent work that Jesus did for us in dying for our sin and our brokenness on the cross of Calvary.